Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke, and with me from across the pond is Matt Hudson from whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. Matt, how you doing, bub? John, I'm hot. I'm really oh. hot. I had to get I had to get dressed to come on the show tonight, and by that I mean get changed for my uh, my work attire because the BAMP needed something more casual, less formal, much more cool, something more bloody awesome to wear. If I could use such a pun, but uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm doing well, uh, my man. We're well and truly into um, big movie season now. But I must know before we talk about any films, uh, how are you? You keeping Florida safe and well? I am, you know, it's uh that it's hot here also, and so um, I think the heat's getting to me. It like I feel a little drained, uh, a little frustrated with some things that are happening around me, but nothing, mm-hmm. uh, nothing too severe. You know, just um, summertime right. blues type stuff. You know, I hear you, my friend. I t- I understand that completely. But uh, the main thing is that you are well. That's the main thing to me. Uh, yes, I, I suppose I am physically well. <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. see how the rest goes. But um, I have a Early nice coffee. Um, oh, nice! So that you know, that's it's. Uh, I, w- I would say homemade, but that's probably not accurate. I pushed a button, coffee came out of the machine, and then that's I put homemade. it over ice, and that's it's homemade good to me. I have a uh, a can of Pepsi. Other carbonated cola flavored soft drinks are available, um, and I also have a cup of tea. So I li- really am living the high life here. Uh, and I've got some water as well, John. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm I'm I'm, I'm uh, fluided up. Well, that's good because it is important when we talk about this movie that you stay in a caloric, uh, not deficit. What's the opposite of that um, surplus? Oh, uh, because you know, as the Flash, we burn lots of calories uh, <laughs> with our high metabolism, um, and we got to stay powered for this episode because that's right, folks. The time has come after, I don't know how many delays, but a lot of delays before this movie finally made its way to the big screen, despite so much controversy surrounding its star, The Flash, directed by Andy Muschietti, um, most famous for the It movies, uh, written by Christina Hodson and J- Joby Harold, yep. uh, which I have to assume there are way more writers than that, realistically, just knowing how this machine has been working. Um, the cast... I rearranged the, the order a little bit because I got this from IMDb and it was just real off. So I went back to Letterboxd and I kind of like it's a mesh between the two. But we got Ezra Miller, uh, the controversial star I alluded to, Sasha Cal. It might be Kaye. Um, oh, she's a Latino, isn't she? So, uh, right. So the, the double L is the Y, the A is sound. Uh, ben Affleck or um, Affleck Duck, uh, Michael Keaton, Michael Shannon, Maribel Verdu, and Ron Livingston wrap up the cast um the synopsis from imdb uh barry allen that's the flash uses his super speed to change the past um his attempt to save his family creates a world without superheroes forcing him to race for his life in order to save the future sorry readers or readers i'm trying to read and it was cut off slightly um so the the scores i've updated today now here's the catch listeners this is a little behind the curtain we are recording this before it's officially out we don't usually do that. Yeah. So um, these numbers are going to change because they're going to hit theaters and people are going to see the movie. So I don't even have an IMDb score like we usually do because for once, I don't know if IMDb started regulating that you can't rate a movie before it's out because it's been a problem in the past where like movies will have like a something. I know. So I think the little mermaid might have been the one to finally push it over the edge. 
Well, so here's what the scores are as of the recording. Again, this is we're recording this the Thursday before the movie's officially out. Um, so these numbers are subject to change. Uh, 68% Rotten Tomato score, 96% um, audience score uh, from Rotten Tomatoes, 60 meta score, 7 out of 10 apparently is the IMDb user score, which I did not see when I looked earlier today, and a 3.3 on Letterboxd. Again, all those numbers are very much subject to change as the movie is seen by more eyes. Uh, those numbers are going to go up or down. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the audience score stays in that ballpark, but I could see it dropping maybe to like 92, 90 um, in theory, but the RT score is probably set in stone. A lot of critics have seen this at this point. It might go up or down a percent or two, but uh, this movie, The Flash, is in theaters everywhere on June 16th. Um, that's worldwide, I believe. I don't know if they're holding back from China or not. Uh, sometimes that Ooh, is a good the point. case. Um, but I saw this a couple weeks ago. Um, as as we mentioned, we're not going to get into all of the things that Ezra Miller is accused of doing or did. Um, there have been so many articles written about it. We have definitely discussed it at some point throughout the last couple of years. Um, it is the the big debate that has come up a lot, maybe too much, because of the horrors of Hollywood, uh, is can you separate the art from the artist? And that has been a big concern with this particular film. And it's been surprising uh, to me to see the way that Warner Brothers and DC have been backing Ezra Miller and almost trying to downplay the the mm -hmm. things miller is accused of doing um and warner brothers though isn't it with the whole johnny depp amber heard thing as well plus a few mm -hmm. other uh, i don't want to downplay them but misdemeanors from uh, other actors warner brothers just does not have a good record as far as i'm concerned yeah i i don't uh, there's not a lot of evidence to say otherwise so i think you are correct and um, listener, it's up to you to decide if, do you want to throw your money, um, at this movie or do you want to, uh, skip it altogether? Um, I did see this at a critic screening. So technically speaking, I have not, uh, given any money to the film as of now. Um, I am torn. I, I want to believe in the, the possibility of redemption. Um, however, this movie's coming out before the redemption has happened. And if a redemption will happen, Miller has not yet paid their dues, for the crimes they are accused. Uh, and again, I, I do believe at this point it's still accused, but a lot of what they were accused of was like caught red handed. So some it's of not, it was on video as well. As, uh, exactly. Right. So it's not like while legally speaking, they may not have been found guilty as of yet. And obviously it's not just the DC universe that is now being plagued with this debate as Jonathan majors. And I'm going to forget his name, Matt, maybe you can yeah. help me out, but the actor who plays Namor. What is it? Tinoch Quetta. Um, both have now been accused and again, just accused of, of, uh, I think sexual assault for, for Namor, sorry. Um, yeah. and, uh, majors was like domestic violence and, yeah. um, domestic abuse. Yeah. So this is going to be a, an apparent thing we're going to have to deal with probably forever because humans are fallible and we make huge mistakes. We do terrible things sometimes. And sometimes the people who do those terrible things are people we look up to. And that's what the issue becomes, right? Miller is playing one of the most hopeful heroes in the DC universe. And especially on the cinematic universe, because yeah. so many of these heroes took that Zack Snyder darkness and the flash has not been one of them. He has been the optimistic kind of hopeful, despite the odds character. And that's what, this movie is he is while he is sad at times and there's like a drama to it he's still lighthearted. there's a lot of humor 
And Miller is charismatic, um, which I think makes the debate harder because you're watching it and you're enjoying it. And you're like, should I be, should I be encouraging? Um, especially I mentioned in my written review, there are two moments in this film that feel tone deaf. Now, in theory, they were recorded before the accusations were levied or something. Cause I know this movie has been in production for a long time, but you have a 14 year old scream at him, say she loves him. And then he's like, ah, yeah, I love you too. And you're just like, eh, that's maybe cut yeah. that out. Maybe don't leave. It's not an, it's not an essential scene. It's not someone he rescues. They're not in the movie later. Like it, you could cut that out. Would not affect anything. Is it a funny scene? Maybe if he had not been accused of some very weird stuff, they, if they had not been excused, pardon me, I, I will accurately try to use the correct pronouns. It is not intentional. Um, and then he later makes a joke about the justice. Dang it. I just did it again. They make a joke about justice league. Uh, well, that's the, not- uh, well, that's also the conundrum. Sorry there, JB is that in, in universe in the film. Yeah. Barry is referred to as, as he, ah. because that is how he is. Uh, that's a fair ended. Whereas obviously outside of the universe, when it's Ezra, uh, is is they slash them. So uh, it it is a it is a tough one to kind of get around. And like John said, we won't we aren't ignorant to that. We're just we're just getting used right. to it. Yeah, uh, not intentional by any means. No disrespect intended. Uh, apologies if I keep stepping in. Now that is a fair point too that I wasn't even thinking about. But in in the movie, Barry is referred to as he, and I am mostly talking about Barry at this point. But there's a mental health joke that is funny, but also like, uh, well. It's still like, man. Yeah. Um, okay, but let's. We're we're really here to talk about the Flash. But before we jump into the movie, is there anything you want to add to uh, the the debate about the art I mean, and the artist? Or, I mean, you've kind of covered it there. It's it's just interesting in this world we live in, where Ezra Miller has been placed front and center uh, for the Flash because they are the star. Whereas you have Jonathan Majors, Tino Cueto have been certainly Jonathan Majors has been could have hung, drung, and quartered for his alleged crimes. Also, now all three of them, if they, if they're, if what they're alleged to have done is true, should be hung, drung, quartered, and thrown to the walls. However, like I say, for the time being, most of it is all just allegations. So we do have to be careful. But with Ezra Miller, the stuff that they've been recorded doing and alleged to have done is goes beyond the kind of. It goes beyond sort of nor- nor- normalcy, almost in a way. The kind of things that we're hearing, it's th- th- there's too much, too yeah. weird, much weird stuff. Which I do not think you can put down to just one thing or two things and say, "Well, you know, this is going on." I don't think so. I think there is something generally uh, wrong here. However, uh, Warner Brothers have pushed ahead with the film. Ezra Miller is the star of the film, and whether you, me, the listeners, or anybody is against it this is how it is. So I think it's probably best yet to get that out of the way early. The things yeah. that he's been accused of, I think are disgusting aren't they abhorrent. And if it is uh, found to be true, then, then I think they have no place having a career, but they're in this film and they're leading the film. And that's what we're here to talk about. So I, I'm with you on that JB. Yep. And on, on the other hand, just to continue the James Gunn has gone on the record saying that they are, as in Ezra Miller is working on, uh, getting help and, and riding the ship. And I mm-hmm. think I want to live in a society where that is possible, where someone does something um, and can within reason uh, redeem themselves or, or show that they are learning or that they're improving. And that it was a mistake and they're, yeah, you know, it's more than remorse. It? Yeah. It's hard to decide what, when is there a line where that's no longer an option? 
Uh, this is one of those situations where it was very close and I'm not sure. Um, but I do want to believe that, that redemption is possible, that we can become better, that we can make efforts to be better course, people. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind, let's talk about the film. Um, I am a huge Batman fan. I think listeners, you probably have heard that over the years. <laughs> um, I, I will admit my, my fandom of Batman has changed and I'm, I would, Put, I think at this point, Spider-Man over Batman as my favorite hero, um, which Spider-Man's always been a close second. Anyways, I've been a, a Spider-Man fan as, as long as I can remember. Um, the difference was I, he didn't have a Michael Keaton led movie in 1989 that I saw and I was obsessed with. And I even had a birthday cake made by my aunt with black icing that destroyed all of our teeth. Um, <laughs> but uh so I, I, since even before Michael Keaton, I was an Adam West Batman fan, but Michael Keaton was definitely the first time where Batman was not just someone I liked, but I thought was really cool. Right. Like his Adam West Batman, I enjoy, but like, even as a kid, I knew something was a little silly. Yeah. Michael Keaton Batman was the first time I was like, Oh, Batman. Like, wow. Like, you know, this guy is, is scary, but cool. And, you know, I don't know what's going on here exactly. Cause I'm too young to really comprehend all the, the inner workings of the crazy, but I've always been a big fan of it. And when I saw the, the first trail, I think was Super Bowl when we got to see Keaton for the first time. And he said, I'm Batman. And you're just immediately was like, well, I have mm. to see this movie now. It doesn't matter because you've, you've, you've got me hooked with something else. And uh, overall, I thought this movie was a lot of fun. Um, it, it's flawed for sure. Uh, there's a couple of things where I was really irritated with some story stuff. Uh, I'm very familiar with the flashpoint paradox comic book um it was uh, i i really got back into comics as the new 52 was forming and the, the flashpoint was the bridge from the old dc to the new 52 and so i read all of those books i read all of the first issues of the new 52 like i mean literally i had every single one of them um i was like i'm ground floor i'm in i'm gonna read all of the 52 books which was a crazy thing to do but it, it was something i was like yeah and um so there were some parts that I was really hoping they were going to commit to from the Flashpoint Paradox that they do not, and that bugged me. Um, but it's, again, it's not exactly that. It's a it's a mesh of a few different Flash stories. Um, I'm, I love the Flash, too. I, I've always been a big fan of the character. I like that he's hopeful and optimistic. This version is a little sillier than the Flash that I really enjoy the most, but I still enjoy this Flash. Um, I thought some of the action sequences were really, really cool. I, I think where DC got the, again, the short end of the stick was Quicksilver was first, right? So every time we have the slow motion action scenes, I'm always thinking about that first Quicksilver scene from uh, days of future past. And it, everything just feels like a knock off of that. And to be fair, I don't know if there's a better way to show how fast someone is um, other than just not showing it just being like, yep, I just did the thing. It's like, Oh, okay. I kind of wish I could have seen the thing and that's what the slow motion is going to do. And now it just feels like a rehash of that first time. Um, and that's unfortunate for DC because they've, they've been behind every step of the way, right? Like they've been trying to live up to either MCU and obviously the X-Men movies are not part of the MCU as of now. And yet it's still like that Quicksilver moment really wrecked uh, the, the, what the flash is going to be able to do visually, I think, mm -hmm. but I think it's done very well. Um, the CG here doesn't look bad. It still does fall into mm -hmm. a pit of CG at some point, as all of the DC films have done, uh, minus maybe the Suicide Squad, um, the the Suicide Squad, the James Gunn one. There's still some CG, but it doesn't feel like 
it doesn't feel like you leave the plane of earth. Like I think the other DC movies, the knock that they get is like the whole set just becomes like dust and chaos. And it's like, you're not even on earth anymore. And it's not appealing. Wonder woman did it. Justice league did it. Um, this movie does it at one point. Um, it, it just looks like I'd rather tell that we're standing on earth fighting something than it just looking like everything is computer generated. But there's some really cool stuff in this. Um, it was hard not to, to get sucked into Miller's charisma. I do think he's very, very charismatic. They are very, very charismatic. And um, I, uh, Sasha Kaye or Kale or Kali. Um, Kali for now. As Supergirl. Thought she was really good. Uh, I don't think she gets a ton to do. But I'd be I'd be up for seeing more of that character if that was possible. Although I guess I don't know if we're gonna see any of these characters ever again, so it well, may not it. matter at all. Um, according to the newest stuff from Gun, is that the, uh, the Blue Beetle will be the first official character in the new DCU, and when Superman lives, Superman uh, Legacy, Legacy, I think it's Legacy. That will be the first official movie. So that means Blue Beetle's happening after legacies in terms of like chronological so um they're already off to a yep let's make this confusing so everyone has no clue what's going on um but i i i definitely would say i i think fans of the flash and if you can get past the art and the artist thing i think you'll have mostly a good time with this film it is one of the better dc uh superhero movies i think easily and i don't know if that's a compliment at this point i still like there's some i like though that's the thing we we keep jabbing at them there are problems. There are more bad movies out of this DCEU than good, but there are some good ones. And even the ones that I didn't really work for me, like I don't love Aquaman as much as some other people. Um, it's still not like, I don't think Aquaman is bad. I thought it was a little overrated. Wonder Woman 84, not so good, but uh, I, I, I do think this is one of the better ones um, overall. And uh, there's a part, which we will save for spoilers listeners. So don't worry, but the, the last third of the film warrants spoiler discussion. Oh, yes. and a big debate, uh, that we will not even, we can't say here cause it would be a spoiler, but, um, a lot of people have already spoiled it. So be, be careful out there on the internet. Cause I know Matt, you had it ruined for you. Uh, Jeez. at least one part of it ruined for you. Yeah, of course I won't say what that is until maybe on the spoiler episode, but Guys, if you're going to drop stuff for internet clout, no, nobody's retweeting it because they're going to read the crap you write. They're doing it because of the sensationalist. So, you know, if you want either be respected for your writing or just become a clickbait artist, don't ruin people's fun. Whether or not you give a damn about The Flash or not, there are so many people out there who do. And there are so many people who don't want film spoiled. Like me, I don't want it to be spoiled. Whilst maybe I wasn't going into this um, full of excitement because of uh, the character and whatever, not now. I just still don't want it to be spoiled. So, uh, yes, John, you are correct. I, d- I did have uh, two of the cameos spoiled. Man. Oh, see, I only knew about one. I'm curious what the other one was. Um, yeah. I found out. Which, I saw another one before I went in. And this is even will... a case of, oh, stay, stay off social media. Like, the film hasn't even been released yet. Yeah. Well, yeah. and also, uh, don't look at cast list because the cameos, at least two of the cameos are in the top oh, cast man. on Letterboxd. I was like checking before this i'm like oh that shouldn't be on this I, that's, a, that's a spoiler but um i i did enjoy the film i haven't heard at all yet matt what what did you think of the flash uh yeah i said i was going to talk to john when i came out of my screening but i didn't because it was late and uh 
So instead, I've saved it for now. And yeah, I, I had two chances to see The Flash before this, both courtesy of Warner Brothers. Thanks, guys. But uh, I couldn't make either of the screenings. So I would have seen it about the same time as JB did. Instead, I opted for the advanced freebie with Cineworld. Um, and yeah, I, I just said I wasn't I wasn't not excited about The Flash because uh, I like a superhero film, film as much as some other people do because you know what you're going to get. You know you're going to get a, a blockbuster film uh, thrill spills action hopefully some heart some decent gags and all of that good stuff so you know I, i'm always generally excited for it now like jb it is a case of separating the art from the artist i'm watching barry allen i'm not watching ezra miller if uh if, if you can make those um if you can separate like like that but the like you said jb the the thing that actually keeps this thing really together is ezra miller now, Ezra Miller is the key to this, and and the fact that they are very good in this is is not something which I'm going to pretend isn't true because they are in mm-hmm. the roles that they have, and the role uh, it, it's really really well done, and especially what they're asked to do uh, and what they're asked to do against uh, is is very well done. It's also you know, massive respect and kudos to the to the effects department as well throughout because at times I forgot I was watching. What I, what I was watching, I just kind of the magic of the movies got me. And it wasn't until I was driving home when I realised that, huh, that was seamless what they managed to do with some of these characters here. Yeah. Um, and that is that's that is why, uh, that's one of the things I came away impressed by. But yeah, Ezra Miller, they're very, very uh, charismatic. They're very decent in this. Uh, one iteration of Ezra Miller's character did get on my nerves a little bit, but by the end... Uh, they're supposed had, to. Yeah, exactly and that's the whole point is he even says like i'm a douchebag and i thought well you, you you tell everyone that's true um but by the end i'd warmed up to uh the other character but yeah it's funny that the you know the, the, the thing that's tr- almost brought the whole damn thing down is in fact is what's lifting this thing up at the minute is is ironic and it's just classic kind of modern hollywood if you ask me but uh, as for the film itself uh, i thought it was pretty good jp like you is there's flaws galore throughout uh, I do think the CG was wackiness. I think it's ropey as sin throughout most of it, apart from the bits which I've alluded to just now. I mean, the intro, there's an introductory scene which is really fun and actually really, really well done, really clever, uh, involving a hospital. But the, for obvious reasons, I've had to use CG for things, and it did not look good. And there were, oh no, f- yeah. Yeah, 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 and there are a few part, part, parts during it as well. And I don't want to hype on a CG overall because when because at points during it, it looked really good as well. So. Uh, I want to throw that in there, but for the, the the things for me is I think the film is too long, which is a classic mm. BAMP complaint, which I, I, and I think it is. And I think a part of that is for me is it gets a little bit bloated of what it's trying to do. I It doesn't know if it wants to be for me, a comedy, an action film, almost like a dramedy. Uh, if it wants to be this multiversal film, if it wants to, to be this or the other, and it cannot, doesn't get either of them really right. Or any aspect is trying to be like spot on. And it ends up being a little bit overwrought for me. But the things that did work really did work. I like Ezra Miller, the character of The Flash. I think there's some genuine emotion in this. I think especially towards the end, they really get that right. And they don't let gags get in the way of the heart, which is something that Marvel has been accused of, is undercutting their own seriousness with silliness. They do not do mm. that in the when it counts in this film. Um, dude, to see Michael Keaton back, come on. Who, who who did not get goosebumps when 
Michael Keaton at one point is standing, just standing there, just waiting to do something. And the Batman theme plays the Batman oh, dude, theme from 89. Dude. You know so it. True. I was like, come on. I mean, I don't care. This could be the worst film in the world, but to hear that again in the cinema, yes. And especially when you kind of with Keaton's back, Keaton's arc in the film, I was like, yeah, this is, this is great. Um, some of his lines though, I was like, ah, he's going to, he's going to say the thing, isn't he? Oh, he said the thing. What? Okay. Fair enough. And that, that kind of plays into one of the points I have with the film, which I can't tell if it's good or bad. I can't tell if it's a positive or negative yet. And it is that nostalgic need. It's that, um, yes. whilst Keaton, I don't think actually surprisingly, Michael Keaton didn't overshadow Ezra Miller or the flash in this film. That's what I was worried about was the trailer had this down as it, it would almost be Batman's film. And, and it isn't, they do a really good job actually of making sure that uh, the flash is front and center here as, as, as he should be in his own film. Um, it's the kind of it's the callbacks or the whether it's whether it's a, a late motif of the music, whether it's a line, whether it's a character or whatever. I did kind of wonder, uh, you know, where we go. What the multiverse of it all does start to get on my nerves a little bit because it just feels a bit cheap. It feels like a Hollywood way of just cramming stuff in that we all remember when it does when there is no yeah. need for it. If you ask me, and I, and I and I know there's we've got the flashpoint paradox and we've got the, the the comics are out there and how well this kind of plays into that i'm not too sure but it just felt at times it felt a bit like i know why you're doing this i respect it but i know we i know why you're doing this and i don't really think you need to i think the film with tighter writing tighter pacing and maybe tighter story could have survived by itself or just having your batman and maybe a villain which is what they have in the film uh, a villain which i won't mention who it is but it is they are in the trailer i think or at least the director spoiled that um, but like you mentioned, Sasha Kelly, I think she's great as Supergirl. I think she looks great as well. She looks great in a suit. She's a, she's a real up and comer. She's also marketed as if she's going to be a big player. Now, yeah. you know, maybe maybe hold your horses on that one when you go to watch it. But when she's in it, I think it's really good. And the way she's introduced, I think it's really cool as well. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. I, I'm not going to say it's the best superhero film ever like some have. I agree with you, though. I do think it's one of the better DC, certainly DC EU movies. and. It's up there with the DC movies, and I mean, what, what, when you were kind of talking about the the DC ness of it all, I was thinking that you know DC do get mocked, and we've done it a few times as well, JB, um, mm-hmm. and we're open about that as well. But then when I think, you know, DC's, you know, the DC films, the the, the best films in the DC canon, wipe the floor sometimes with s- some of the best films in Marvel. I mean, The Dark Knight is better than any Marvel movie, if you ask me. Um, even yes. like the old Batman film eighty nine. Well, it's just not perfect. It's not a masterpiece per se, but the, you know they they culturally JB, if you know what I mean. They 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 kind of yes. cling on a bit more. I don't think we most people when they're talking DC though they aren't talking they're talking no, Man yeah. of Steel and on. Snyder. But yeah, I mean, case, for yeah, some the, sorry, go on. for some people the uh, um, the original uh, Superman nineteen seventy nine uh, Richard Donner film is the best superhero film of all time. Of course, yeah, um, because they really thought like I I find that movie very painful to watch i find Stated. it so campy and, and silly um but it's you know it's not you get it like it's not undeniable that it's it's it has that place for some people so yeah. like obviously i i will argue all day that dc's got better characters um than marvel in general have they used them well not cinematically it. and at the end of the day 
it, they're, where they're all good comic book films, whether it's DC, Marvel, Sony, or whoever else, we're getting good comic book movies, and that, that's that's what I'm here for. There's competition. Let's have fun with DC, Marvel, but at the end of the day, let's hope that DC can start bringing out a consistent slew of great films to give the genre even more great films because it then it already has and it really does have some now i'm not sure i'm going to put the flash up as one of the great comic book films but it's a lot of fun it's got heart it's got good humor actually the humor did work an awful lot for me in this film yeah uh, it, it's got it's got some callbacks which work it's got some which are fun but i also think nah, you don't really need to happen um but no I, for a film which i thought was going to be a train wreck i, I you know i did i thought it was going to be one of those films where it, nothing just comes together and that, regardless of who's in it but no it, it, it did work and it, i think it ended well in terms of how the uh, barry allen's story uh or, how, or his arc i think that's well handled uh even though there's a nice little wink and a nod as to what really happens but yeah like you say this this is it now i think i think whether or not we're going to see sasha Kelly again or anybody else for that matter i don't know but i think this is a this is a cool a cool way a decent way for the the old DCEU, I think, to bow out. It's bowed out with, with elements of everything that came before. I think there's there's a little bit of darkness in there for your, for your Snyder heads. There's a little bit of there's a bit of comedy in there for you know, you know for, for for the rest of us basically. Um, and 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 there's throwbacks galore and this and everything. There's, there's there's enough in here for everything. I think to appease enough people, it's just whether or not the the Ezra Millerness of it all is going to impact this film's taking i think it will do i don't know how much though it depends on the word of mouth so far the word of mouth has been pretty good uh from what i've seen it's been fairly balanced and i think we're we're part of those balanced groups jb i I enjoyed it it seems like you did as well um yeah i did and you know it it is hard to decide uh on that note but i i'm hopeful for what we get moving forward uh there is a lot listeners if you have seen the movie and you want to hear our thoughts on the third act of the flash definitely listen to the spoiler episode yeah. because i have so many thoughts um and also i i want to talk about some of my reactions um there was yeah, one same. point i i grabbed my head leaned forward and was frantically looking around to see if everyone in the theater knew what was coming because i knew what was coming and i could not have been more excited for what what happened oh a good Um, way i thought it was a bad reaction okay yeah okay it's a good way and because i feel like i'm i'm so immersed in the dc cinematic lore that when i realized what they were doing i was like no freaking way i wonder if it's the same thing that i'm thinking of it, uh, I don't know. In the spoiler I, episode, I'll say I'll say yes. one thing to you, and you can deny or accept, agree with it if it's a, if it's a thing you mean. All right, all right, definitely. So uh, that's a little foreshadowing <laughs> for the spoiler app, guys. We don't usually hype up the spoiler app, but this movie, I know what I want to talk about in the spoiler <laughs> episode. So I got um, yeah, so we're gonna get to that. Uh, but in the meantime, that's our review of the Flash. Uh, Matt and I are are positive on it. We we both think it's it's pretty entertaining it's good summertime fun. fun and while i it is a little long i would say it moves quite fast so we had to make a stupid flash joke at some point right uh let's move on uh this is our second week in a row where we're where we're not following our usual format because we're covering tribeca um remotely we're not in new york unfortunately we are uh, at home 
uh, in our various homes across the pond from one another. And we've been watching some movies. And so we're going to talk about the things we've seen at Tribeca. Uh, go to TribecaFilm.com. Some of these will not be available when you finally hear this episode. But these are movies that we, uh, we're we going to recommend or not recommend. You add to your watch list to, to keep an eye out. Um, Matt, why don't you start us off? Uh, what's the first movie that we are both going to talk about? Uh, the first one, JB, is Maggie Moore's, which uh, we've both seen. And it's the it's a film by John Slattery, who was in uh, Mad Men, and it stars his Madman, Madman, his Mad Men co-star John Hamm, who's who's generally quite dependably very very good. You know what you're going to get with John Hamm. Uh, also very underrated, I'd find in recent years. Um, stars John Hamm, Tina Fey, Micah Stock, Nick Mohammed from Ted Lasso, Happy Anderson, and Mary Holland. Now apparently this film was based on true events, and in a nutshell, two people with the same name, Maggie Moore, are murdered within one week of each other. And the local police are on a desperate wild goose chase to find out what's happened. Uh, uh, and obviously the murders are part of a, a bigger story where, uh, where people are trying to clear their name by just killing other people. It's, there's a bit, there's lots going on in this film. And I think that the, the premise is very enticing not to take away from the fact that if it is a true story then obviously it's very sad but the premise is enticing however for me the mystery of the film when it was taken away so early by what we're shown yeah did just that it took away the mystery so i was kind of watching these two cops nick Mohammed and uh, john ham john ham's the, the chief nick Mohammed is this kind of socially awkward uh deputy uh seeing them kind of bumble their way through was was fine and then uh, John Hamm and Tina Fey have this kind of very sweet but very out of place romance in terms of the yes. film. It kind of it feels like a different film. And then you've got uh, another subplot involved in, involving like moldy fi- moldy food and and dodgy shipments of stuff, which I thought I don't know what I, I know why it's in there, but I thought I could really yeah. do without this. And uh, that kind of derailed it for me quite a lot. Where the mystery's gone. The characters, I wasn't as keen on. I thought they were fine. You know, what I mean, I think John Hamm and Tina Fey—they got the memo. They get it. Nick Mohammed, no, for no fault of his own. I, I think you may disagree with this, but I felt like he was acting in a different film. It just didn't feel he, the tone just didn't feel right, and that isn't a him problem because I dig him. It's a casting slash writing problem, um, which made me feel sad because I like Nick Mohammed and I want him to succeed. I wish he had a better film uh, with which to do it, but the the writing I wasn't so um hot on it, it, it this isn't a whodunit more than a more than it is a kind of well that's you know maybe maybe we'll tell you who done it and then we just we'll just follow them as they go about their kind of lives as they try to solve it i didn't find it particularly funny jb i didn't really find it very exciting i thought it was overblown uh and i wasn't the biggest fan of maggie moore's uh whatsoever jb but were you were you more of a fan of this i definitely warmer to it than you um so one, the I think the problem that you're describing it, it, movies don't have to be like a mystery, right? If there, like, there are many films where we know things that the cops don't know, but that's supposed to create a tension course, that we yeah. feel. And the, the movie, this movie, fails to do that. Like exactly we, that. we know these two things are happening, but there's never this like. We, it's supposed to be. I see a train coming, and I see another train coming, and they're on the same track, and they don't know. They're on yeah. the same track and they're going to collide. And we are anticipating that collision. Well, dude, that, Knives this, Out. Look at Knives Out does does exactly that. It, te- it tells you what happens at the beginning of the film, but it doesn't make it any less interesting because the writing and the performances and everything are so damn good. 
I mm, I'm going to use uh, Silence of the Lambs because I I think Knives Ooh. Out is a whodunit because I think oh, we I know mean, something they, but we they don't know give all away the their mystery straight away. They don't they? The mystery yeah. is is revealed straight away, but then yes. we're watching the rest of it unravel, which is the same here essentially. Yeah, and that's the the key. Um, this movie misses that. It doesn't because it's so much more concerned with the comedy. And the thing is, I love John Hamm in comedies. I, I every time I see him in something funny. I am just blown away because he doesn't, it seems unfair because he's so handsome that he shouldn't also be so funny. And he is both of those things. And when movies use him like that, I think he's great. I like him in this. I like him in uh, Fletch lives. Um, And baby driver. He's, he's funny at first. He becomes menacing by the end, but like, I think he's great in that movie. Um, And so that part of this film really worked for me. I agree with you, though. There's a lot of stuff that feels like sketches that are loosely stitched together. They never manage to really build that momentum of those two trains on the same track. No. They tell us they are. But when we finally get to the collision point, it's it feels underwhelming. Some things are new curveballs that w- don't really add up to anything. Um, and yeah, I, I think uh, I forgot the actor's name, but Nate um, from Ted uh, Lasso. Nick, Nick Mohammed. Um he is trying to be like his character is unaware of things. And I think the actor is also unaware of the other moments in the film. Cause I think if you were to watch his scenes in isolation, his performance makes sense. But then when you add them to the whole, it's like, well, what, what's up with his character? Is he a good cop or not? And like, yeah. is he a, is he a loser or not? Like there's so many things about his character that seem to just be in that moment. And I do think, as you said, it's not a performance issue. It's the writing issue. Yep. Like it's the characters just written. Not great. And that's kind of the movie is it's like, it's not great. I found those moments that work for me enough to make it enjoyable versus like just being completely unhappy with it. Um, but yeah, it does. It feels like a sketch comedy show that gets, uh, they, they try to tie all the pieces together with it, an overarching story that doesn't really pay off in a way that, gonna be valuable there you go maggie moore's it comes out on it comes out on june the 16th so it'll already be out by the time we're listening it's getting a theatrical run as well if you want to go check it out you, you might dig it much more than we did the premise is there it's just the execution fell flat for me jb another film we saw together and actually watched this pretty much concurrently didn't we yeah uh, with each other is um is like one night it, when it was yeah one night over della uh jb uh mentioned it he sent me a message saying, I think he said something about he was watching it. I said, oh, damn, I'm watching it too. Whereabouts are you? And I was I was about maybe 20 minutes ahead. Uh, so that was odd. But it's uh, another directorial debut uh, from this, this time by Hugo Ruiz. And it stars Laura Galan, who was uh, in Piggy last year, who was really very good in Piggy. Mm-hmm. This kind of like yep. powerfully sympathetic, empathetic performance. Uh, she's back again with another powerful performance, but a much different character this time around one night of adela is basically well we're following one night with a character called adela she's a street cleaner she uh her life revolves around sex drugs probably booze as well and on this evening revenge the film opens up with a pretty big event in terms of just like your, your everyday life after you finish your job and it goes from there and the and the film's selling point as is it is played off as one long oneer, a one long one take. And for the most part, JB, it is. I mean, we, we saw that yeah. 
cut, which is so unsubtle, it's ob- it hurts. And you, you found a couple of others. But for the most part, though, this is very long takes just following, for the most part, Laura, Laura Galan as she goes from place to place in her van listening to local radio the call-in radio and she calls into the dj and she's kind of saying she's going to do this and challenging the host uh with her ideals and putting her on edge basically without giving too much away and it's it's a really odd film and i think we both said it it's a very ambitious film wildly ambitious for a debut uh and, and laura galan really really holds this thing together she is fantastic she's such a raw kinetic performer in this film i put in my review that she she kind of snarls her way through the movie like a ufc fighter on their ring walk the whole time she's kind of she's she's snarling she's twitching most of that is due to the cocaine she's taking but yeah she is uh she's a force in this film she's very brash she's very unfriendly but for me i found her quite watchable in fact i eminently watched i wanted to know what the hell was going on and where the story leads. Now the story does take one hell of a twist later on. And I think your mileage depends on how far you want to accept this change in uh, direction. And also then the need for it to all to be a one as well. But I think for me, the film is very, very interesting. It's very enticing. Lots of quality. I think it's a, it's a one and done though. I think on, on second reviewing, I think the, a lot of the magic is gone. I think a lot of the inventiveness is gone as well. So I don't know how much impact it would have. But I thought, again, very, very ambitious, great lead performance, JB. Uh, and all in oh, all, yeah. very, very decent, very solid film from Tribeca. I'd recommend this one. Uh, what about yourself? Uh, agree completely. I, uh, the the use of the oneer, um, th- a lot of it is just like camera sitting in a car looking at the driver. Um, yeah. And then uh, the, the infamous tracking shot that feels like a Darren Aronofsky movie every time. Um, though it just reminds me of the wrestler. Every time we are following somebody, yeah. he's obviously not the first person to do it, but that, that was when it became like really clear to me, these long walking tracking shots. And there's a lot of that, but where I got really impressed with it is later in the movie, there is a sequence where she is celebrating um, and the camera is like rotating around her. It's, it's so much movement. Yeah. And it's both like it's creating so much complication because if something goes wrong, you have to start over because there's no cuts. So uh, between her performance and the movement of the camera, I was like, wow, this is super ambitious and it works. It works really, really well in that moment. That was kind of what solidified me on this is a really good movie and a really great example of of the power of the one take. Um, and this is, again, for the most part, a true one take. It's closer to Victoria than like uh, Birdman or um, 1917, where the, where it's clearly stitched. Uh, this is almost, I mean, again, we, we saw some definite like cut points, but for the most part, there's none. And it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, mm-hmm. Some really cool set pieces and uh, again, a, a very dark twist, but uh, I found it very enjoyable. And again, she, Laura Gallen is a tremendous talent who's much older than I would have thought. Cause Piggy, she's playing like a 16 year old. And I think she's in her thirties, oh, um, Okay, but uh, she's a tremendous talent. I just, I hope she keeps getting work. Cause between the two films I've seen of her, I've just been completely blown away by her performances. Yep. Agreed. My friend, um, I will, uh, I'll go through my next one. I'll, I'll blast through this one, these next ones then. Uh, we will alternate, of course, for listeners. Uh, the next film I saw was called, the first film I saw actually was called The Seeding. And um, I couldn't talk about it before because of the embargo. But that's gone now. Um, guess what, John? 
directorial debut again, but this is by a British music video director called Barnaby Clay. What a name. Um, and he's done videos for like the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. I think he's married to Karen O. Niles Barkley. Take that as well. Uh, but his uh, this film was just a very odd existential horror thriller film. And it was very surprising that that's where we went with it. It stars Scott Hayes and Caitlin Shale, who who was the lead, as it turns out, in She Dies Tomorrow. Uh, so that uh, is who that she plays a mysterious woman. She's not again not named until we get to the credits. Scott Hayes's character is not named until we get to the credits either. Uh, very similar to uh, You'll Never Find Me, which we spoke about last week. Um, so this film is basically a guy gets a guy get is in the is in the desert. He's trying to photograph a. Um, a solar event, a solar eclipse, and he gets drawn away because he's a kid lost in the desert. And he, he follows the kid. Kids led him astray. The guy's lost. He in this kind of deep creek. He he sees a house or a cabin, so he has to climb down this ladder. And there's a woman in there. So of course, guy alone in the desert. He's a woman. He's not in any way creepy about it, but he's he's down there. Uh, he ends up staying the night after having some dinner, and intends to leave the next day, but without any ladder. You ain't going anywhere, my friend. And then it all gets really weird really quickly. It does have a kind of like She Dies Tomorrow oddness about it. There is that kind of vibe. And I don't know if it's Caitlin Shale's simply her presence, but the film is um, it's nightmare fuel at times. Mm. And for a feature debut, it's a very compelling calling card. It's, it's, it's bold and it's brave because it, it goes places and it does ask its viewer to be patient. It, there's a dread hanging over the film quite quite well it's only 90 minutes as well jb and i we love a 90 minute film um my only problem is that at times it it felt like it's starting to get a little bit too artistic for a bit arty for its own good if you know what i mean where it might be getting a bit too i don't say pretentious but down those kind of lines where it when it didn't need to but when it when you know before when it got going or got to its kind of quite shocking ending i was like yeah this is a this is a film which has an impact to it. This is a film that was trying to say something. I think it says it will, and it pays off. So what, what, it, whether it may take its sweet time getting there, it isn't. It is more of an art house horror than anything else. Do not expect blood, guts, and gore all the way through. I think when we get to the end, and by the time the end credits roll, it is a very, very effective uh, hmm. horror thriller film. But it, 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 it's a slow goer, though. If you are not into slow going horror films or even stilted horror, artistic horror, then this may not be the one for you, but if you can go get through it for 90 minutes, I think you'll enjoy it. I, I do want to check that one out. I didn't get a screener for it, but it's going to be on shutter. I think, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. It's being picked up by shutter. So that, I'll, I'll get to it at some point. I hope, um, Hero. my first film that I'm talking about that you haven't seen because, well, it's a documentary and Matt don't <laughs> do documentaries. Um, <sighs> so, uh, I watched Rule of Two Walls, and now, folks, I know a lot of you out there probably don't like documentaries, but this is one you need to add for, uh, I, I would say, like, historical relevance. Um, Rule of Two Walls is a documentary filmed last year uh, in Ukraine by Ukrainian filmmaker and Ukrainian uh, artist um, while the war was happening, while Russia was attacking Ukraine, and it is horrific. Oh, yeah. um, there is some footage in this film, and this is I'm not recommending you watch it because it's horrific, but there are things that I never thought I would see. Um, there are, you know, casualties of war uh, that I never thought I would see the way it, um, it is being depicted, but it is being depicted honestly, and uh, it's horrifying in that way. But what I loved about Rule of Two Walls is that 
despite the horrors of war and that these characters are in areas that are under attack, you can hear uh, gunshots in the distance at times. Um, is that it brings a, a, an element of hopefulness and um, the rebellious spirit that we've seen from Ukraine since it, uh, the invasion. Um, and it, it it's impressive that they could do that. And part of that rebellion and part of the hopefulness comes through art. Uh, one of the main people that we're following is a musician and we see him practicing and playing. He's like a rap, like a rap metal kind of thing, which is my vibe anyways. Uh, I've never listened to Ukrainian rap metal, but I was vibing it. Um, his girlfriend is an artist. And there's another section where like a person makes all these cool posters that are anti-war, anti-Russia, and they hang them up and they're very, very cool stylized. Um, you get these intimate interviews. Even the opening shot is the the musician and his girlfriend in bed, um, a close-up. It's so intimate. It's so personal. It doesn't feel like a documentary. It feels like, well, are we watching a romantic comedy? Like, why would we start with this shot? But it's so telling about the situation that they currently find themselves in. And it is a... I think essential watch, especially because I don't know how often we get a documentary about a war that's still happening, um, yeah. you know, on the ground where they are. And uh, even what the rule of two walls is, I didn't know what that expression was. Um, again, I think speaks to my uh, privilege of being in America and not having ever been in a war. Like, you know, war has not been on our doorstep my life. Uh, you know, the closest thing being nine 11. And obviously that was, an attack um the actual war took place overseas so uh i didn't know that expression and it, it's I, I i'll leave it for the film to, to explain it to you but it, it there is a reason it's called rule of two walls and um it's it's a jarring one but um yeah I, I, a documentary i think is a must watch for sure yeah i'd really like to watch this one is this on the uh portal jb it might be. I don't remember. I got it a little bit ahead of time, so I don't know for sure if it's on the portal or not. No worries. I will check that out because I would very much like to watch this one, and maybe I'll have some documentaries to talk about later on, JP. But my next film, it isn't a documentary. It's a biopic, though, so it's kind of halfway between a documentary and a film. Um, this one is called Marinette, directed by Virginie Vellier. Vellier. I had to Google how to spell that to say that, and I, and I got it right. Virginie Verrier, and it stars the always wonderful Garant Smarillier from uh, Raw and other things, um, Emily Duquesne, and many, many more. But this is basically a film about French female footballer Marinette Pichon, who is a trailblazer for the game, for the women's game, which, of course, in the States has generally been very well regarded, the women's uh, national team and the American leagues, uh, whereas here in Europe, it's it, now it's big, but it hasn't always been. And this film kind of shows the struggle of, in terms of the sport, trying to get French female footballers professional contracts. Basically, this is our job. We want to be paid for a full time job here. The men get paid full time wages for doing this. Why, why, why do we have to go and work a nine to five job and then fit football in in between? Yet you want us to be the best team in the world, but the French Football Federation's holding us back. So there's a lot of internal politics, which sadly are still going on now. Uh, the French need to sort themselves out with many things in terms of sport, especially women's football, because uh, they've got some great players. But Marinette Pichon is a legend of the game. She's a goal-scoring machine. Up until uh, a couple of years ago, she was the highest-scoring French footballer, male or female, in international history. Wow. Uh, she scored a bucket load of goals in That's France. Like five? Uh, yeah, Sorry, about 80-something, I think. 
It's a no. soccer joke. Sorry, goes, folks. These Americans, guys. He, she did go over to America and she did t- tear up the American League for a little while in, in Philadelphia. But it also tells the story of Marinette, a young French girl coming up through France with a, a drunk and abusive father uh, with a, in a country that doesn't respect or, or nurture talent for female footballers. Um, what she was like when she was put into the national team with jealous older players um her sexuality she's a lesbian so again oh. in a country which wasn't always quite so open at the time there's a lot going on here and the uh, garance garance marillier is very very good in this she always is from the three films i've seen her in now she's great she's really good here the rest of the film is fine the rest of the shit they, they tried to get all of marinette pichon's life in she's still alive mm. in 90 minutes and you just cannot do that there are major moments in this which are just are thundered through there are scenes where there are huge moments in terms of her life where down to down to kind of pacing and editing i wasn't sure actually what happened until they explained it five minutes later so the filmmaking side of it is is fine you know it's technically well made the pacing and editing it feels like this is it should have been an hour and 45 minutes hour and 50 minutes and they've cut it to just about an hour and a half because there there must some things don't quite make sense but um yeah, but Marillier is very, very good. the The football side of it is good. You know, it's it's well done. It's well created. Um, but the, the kind of her personal story should have really probably taken a bit more um, focus here and a bit more and a bit less rushing through. But uh, overall, Marinette is um, it's very decent. It's very decent. The, the pacing is detrimental. Garant Marillier is very, very good. Watch it for her. Otherwise, yeah, I kind of hit or miss with this one. So was someone controlling the strings? Um, so I legitimately thought this movie was marionette. Uh, oh, and I was like, man. oh, is this about like puppets? Um, but not puppets, marionettes, not but nevertheless. Um, sorry. So lame joke. <laughs> um, my next documentary, because most of what I am going to talk about are documentaries, of um, is uh, Chasing, Chasing Amy. Yes. Um, listeners know I am a big Kevin Smith fan. I've talked about Kevin Smith many times. In fact, the reason I podcast uh, very much falls into Kevin Smith's, uh, you know, purview. Um, he kind of introduced me to the idea of podcasting. I read his autobiography. Um, I think it's an autobiography. It's a biography, if not an auto, uh, back in like 2010 or 2011. And that I was like, oh, I should listen to his podcast. I've never listened to a podcast before. And within uh, five years, I started podcasting myself, um, met Matt, and here we are. Um, but so chasing, chasing Amy is kind of like, what if I decided to make a documentary about why I started podcasting? Well, um, Sav as the director, uh, wanted to make a documentary about their favorite film, which was, uh, chasing Amy. It was the first time they ever saw that themselves represented on screen. Uh, um, and it's, it's, I find it a little hard to discuss, uh, cause I don't, it's a documentary that kind of has spoilers in a way. Um, okay. because there is an arc, uh, things happen, things change. Um, it has some of the, my favorite, uh, documentary interviews I think I've ever witnessed because they're so candid and so real. Um, and there, you can tell the filmmaker is uncomfortable during one of the interviews and you're like, it, it just makes it real memorable, real powerful. Um, this for me works tremendously. I think it's a very well structured documentary. I think it's very well put together. I think the, uh, the intent of it and the honestness to it is so, so real. Um, I, I was writing my review and I started to cry while writing my review. Um, 
that I, I reached out to Sav, uh, the director, and, and I was like, hey, I just finished watching. I'm a paragraph into my review, and I, I needed to say thank you. I, I really was moved by this documentary. I think this documentary is excellent. It, I obviously am biased for a lot of reasons, um, but I think the subject matter that Sav is talking about here is extremely relevant to the world we are in right now, especially my world in the state of Florida, where trans people are essentially being erased. Um, and, and the LBGT, LGBTQ, oh man, so many letters, IA plus community is under constant attack here. Um, I think Chasing Chasing Amy is a really positive look at uh, finding self-acceptance, finding yourself in representation on screen, even if that representation is, is troubled, which is a big part of the documentary is talking about Chasing Amy's legacy within the community. Um, and, and it's troubling elements and also it's progressive elements. Uh, Kevin Smith is actively involved in the interview process. Like it's really cool to see Kevin um, cool. like support this documentary about his movie. Uh, it's, I just, I really loved it. Uh, if you get a chance to see it, I, I highly recommend it. Um, I, yeah. And Sav did respond to my email and it was very, very, very kind. Um, uh, looking forward to seeing what else, uh, if, if they decide to do um, more movies or not. I hope so. Because this documentary, very well made, in my opinion. Oh, I have got this one on my list to watch because of the whole it chasing aiminess of it all. Yes. Um, my next one, John, isn't a documentary. It's a film. And uh, it's called uh, Last Night of Amore or La Ultima Notte di Amore, if you are Italian or you're trying to sound like you are. Um, this is by uh, directed by Andrea De Stefano, who had previously directed Escobar Paradise Lost with uh, Benicio Del Toro and The Informer with um, half of the Suicide Squad, I think. But um, but this now is more, uh, whereas they were kind of more Hollywood productions, this is very much an Italian production. It's set in Milan, in Italy. The cast is primarily primarily Italian, uh, if not all Italian. And it's led by the, the very kind of brooding, charismatic Pierre Francesco Favigno. Um, most of my films so far have been foreign, which is really odd. Uh, but that's Tribeca for you. We know they're diverse and I love it. Um, so basically, after 35 years in a job, John, uh, Francesco Amore, who's a policeman, played by uh, Favino. He's a lawful o- officer. You know, he's never fired his gun once. He's <laughs> he's seeing out his last day before retirement. And well, what do you think happens, John? What, what do you think could happen here? Hmm. Everything yeah. goes smooth, and it's an easy day. Exactly. End of the film. It was really good, and I'm glad I watched it. No, something something happens, and of course, Amore is thrust into the line of fire once more. But it's um. It's not just necessarily a criminal has done something. There's a cool kind of flashback to 10 days before, which then start, which then is the film and it plays back into what we've just seen in the modern day um, setting. And then they end in the modern day and it's really quite cleverly done. Uh, so it's a very stylish crime thriller. It doesn't reinvent the genre. It doesn't reinvent the wheel, but um, I think the lead performance by Pierre Francesco Favino is very good. He's very strong. I really did like him. He's kind of big, sullen, brooding, yet affable kind of hulk of a man. And it's a very relatable performance as well as this law officer. He's not Superman. He's not a superhero. He's just a guy. It's not kind of John McClaney here, but he's just a guy. He's not running around dodging bullets and, you know, taking a bullet in the, in the chest and carrying on. He's just nothing like that. He's just a police officer who's caught 
in some bad shtick. Uh, uh, and his family life has something to do with that as well. Uh, and it's very good, JB. It's uh, there's, there's some good memories of tension in it. I think some of the, some of the sequences are better than others. And it when it comes to the mystery and the tension that goes on here, there it's not very action heavy. When we do get action, it's it's well done, if not slightly oddly uh, placed in terms of its loca- location. I did think maybe we're having a shootout here. It seems a bit odd. But still, it's got a very intriguing score, which I think um, sets the mood. It's got a fantastic open, and I'll say that. The opening is, I think, I believe it's a drone shot or a helicopter, one of them. It's a drone shot. Or going over at Milan, and you get to see all sides of it. So, like, the, the upper-class parts, the working class, the the industrial parts. Really beautiful shot. It's just, one, it's just a one going over Milan, and it ends up in flying through into... Um, uh, Amore's apartment where they're having a surprise party for him. Really, really stylish by to open, really inventive. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a crime thriller, John. It's set in Italy. There's some cool moments, there's some good tension. Does it set the world alight? No. Is it a solid way to spend an hour and 45 minutes? Very much so. Very decent, very stylish crime thriller, John. Last Night of Amore. Nice. I caught Lost Souls with a Z. Ooh, I wanted to uh, say this. Lost is spelled normal. Souls is with a Z. Uh, oh, wait. S-O-U-L-Z. Just to clarity, where does the Z go? Um, So it is very much mid-90s, or I don't know if you saw Skate Kitchen. Uh, those not. are both skater movies that have this kind of hangout vibe. Uh, very low stakes, but very you know personal and intimate. And both feature a lot of like either first-time actors or non-actors. Um, Skate Kitchen is uh, Christina Moselle who did The Wolf Pack. And then she took the same actors she uses in Skate Kitchen and made a show on HBO called betty i want to say um that's also kind of about skateboarding neither of those this movie has nothing to do with skateboarding though it's like those movies the hangout vibe that kind of uh non-actor element meshed with like an eight mile or patty cake vibe where it's a hip-hop artist um you get uh, a guy that looks like um like what if post malone never got tattoos and then there's like a what if timothy chalamet decided to be a rapper like there are two guys that are very much those descriptions um but overall i thought the movie was really good i was really pulled into the characters uh it's noticeable at times that these are not actors but not not to the detriment of the film because it does have this kind of hangout element to it for the most part the stakes are low there is element of the story that should be higher stakes than maybe it is but it i don't know in that way it kind of feels grounded and feels more like you know sometimes things happen in reality that are important but we don't give them the the weight they deserve mm-hmm. or like we think they're gonna be a bigger impact on our life and then it's just kind of like one more moment in our overall crazy universe you know um so uh it's definitely worth checking out, especially if you are a fan of mid nineties or skate kitchen. If you haven't seen either of those movies, I say, check those out, but they are very hangout. Uh, if you like that vibe, if you're into the vibe, I think the movie's really cool. If you are against the vibe, if you don't like the vibe, the movie's giving you, you're going to hate it. Cause that's, that's really what the movie's weighing on. It's like, do you like hanging out with this situation? If no, you're going to want to leave. So, um, but it worked for me and I enjoyed the movie. Nice. I was um, that's one I'd like to catch before it's all said and done. But I'm glad you did it, John. So you could tell me what it's like on this episode of the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. Um, my next film, uh, my last film before moving into the dreaded D word documentaries, is uh, The Listener, Steve Buscemi's latest directorial effort, ah. and it stars well, it stars Tessa Thompson, and that's it. There are some well-known voice actors or 
or actors who throw their voices in. But Tessa Thompson is the only character that we see. Um, so in The Listener, Tessa Thompson, she works through the night as a helpline volunteer. She takes calls from people who just want to talk, who want to get things off their chest or just want some sort of companionship. Uh, and she assumes the identity of Beth because she can't give her real name away, of course, because confidentiality reasons, because she's a helpline operator. Um, and I thought this film was middling at best. Uh, it's nothing to do with Tessa Thompson because I think she's really good as a lone performer. She has to. She is the film. The film. It's not a one but the film. The film follows her as she's talking, as she's just kind of walking around her house and sort of making a coffee or or whatever it is she might be doing or make, writing some things down. But she has to be engaging for us to follow uh, her, and her voice is great. You know, um, I say that because she spends the whole thing as a phone operator. She's got a really soothing voice. Um, but the problem I have with this film is I, I'm not entirely sure what it offers. No, I, in the end of my review, I said it was challenging to decipher it because I don't know what it's offer. I don't know what we're meant to feel. I don't know what this film meant to offer. Now, if it's it's probably a very true representation of what it is like to work on these helplines, and the people who do it are are heroes. They're much more patient than I could ever be. And Tessa Thompson takes about six or seven calls throughout the night. Some from actors with voices you'll recognise, others not. They're kind of uh, up and coming or unknowns. And it kind of ranges between there's a cop, there's an ex-marine, there's an incel, there's a oh, man. Uh, sociology professor who um, who basically says, I'm, I, want to, I want to kill myself. How about you? Essentially, paraphrasing, but, you know, talk me out of it, basically. And that's the longest part of the film where... The, the, we finally find out a tiny bit more about Beth, but we don't find out anything about her. The calls feel scripted as hell. They don't feel like genu- genu- genuine conversations, and that's what annoys me. Again, when I watched You Will Never Find Me last week, when it was just a chamber piece of two people acting, I mentioned it ran the risk of feeling monologue and unnatural. This That didn't. This did. It, especially the callers who came in. It, none of it felt like genuine. Like It felt like I was reading something that somebody had poured over for a very long time, making sure every word and making sure every kind of pause and um and ah was just in the right place. So it's tight in that sense. It's competent, but it didn't, it, it lacked any soul or any emotion for me. It just felt very hollow. Nothing to do with Tessa Thompson. She's very, very good in this, but the film just meanders along. It looks great. Anka Malatinza is the DOP. Looks really good. This film does. It's really inviting but nothing really happens. Now I don't need a film where somebody calls Beth up and is like, I am your father because you don't know who Beth is. Beth's identity is never, you know, that's not the thing here. So if somebody did, did call up and was like, Oh, I recognize your voice. That would have been a horrible coincidence and it would have been terrible. So we don't get that, but we don't really get anything else for me. So there wasn't enough here to really keep me on edge. And I got a little bit bored during it, John I almost stopped being a listener but I carried on, got through it, JB. And Tessa Thompson's really good, but it's, you know, it, it's the definition of fine, fine. Indeed. Uh, David saw that and he, uh, he liked it a lot more than you. I and read, yeah. Did. Um, but uh, my next movie, this is, I don't know if I'm going to say the word. It's called Songs About Effing. Um, ah. the, it's not a, it's not censored. It's the actual curse word, uh, the big F word. Um, it is a musician whose name I don't remember because I am not familiar with him. It's Mark Robillard or something like that. Um, um, yeah, Russell, yeah. 
I, I, it's not for me. It is a, it's, I, the movie is for fans, and even uh, Tuna apparently is a fan of the the guy and found the movie to be lackluster. Um, it's supposed to be this big deal because he's like it's following him on tour right after the pandemic. It's like supposed to be one of the first tours after the pandemic. Okay, but that doesn't really seem to like take any weight or stock. It's not like it, it's just scenes. Some of the scenes of his performances are are interesting. I don't vibe the music. Um, I felt like an old man watching because I'm like, do you call this music? And I was, you know, <laughs> um, it, it just wasn't for me. I don't think it's necessarily terrible, but it's not a great documentary. I don't think it, it really has anything to say. It's just like, you know, video footage of the tour. Um, and that's that's about it. That's all. I don't have anything else to say about it. I don't want to diss it too hard. It just I don't think it's for me. Fans might enjoy it more uh, if you just want to see more of the guy. But it's he's kind of an Internet musician like he got really popular during the pandemic for doing like live dj things on the internet so it's like do you need to just see documentary footage of him doing that when you could have just watched that i don't yeah. know but there it is songs about effing uh next yeah no interest in watching jb based on everything i've heard from you tuna and others as well if you dig it i respect it but i i dig jb uh, I saw some documentaries, John. I did. Um, oh my I'm going to watch a few more. This one is called Break the Game. Now, I went into this thinking it was something else, <laughs> but I, I thought, oh, well, I'll watch it anyway. It's 80 minutes long or maybe 75 minutes. That's what I'm talking about, my man. I'm, I'm here for this. Break the Game is a documentary by Jane M. Uh, Wagner. And the, the synopsis for this is, I haven't written a review, so the synopsis is video games and the community around the around them have meant everything to narcissa right she's a twitch streamer she's a trans twitch streamer um her quests to set speed runs in numerous game titles have allowed her to own competitions and stages across the globe so basically uh she was she she was the speed run champion i think for zelda um uh, the ocarina of time i think and a speed run is basically when you complete the game as quickly as possible by essentially glitching your way through or finding ways to beat the game to me it's just pointless as hell <laughs> buy a game just to not play it but whatever but um narcissa right um before she transitioned into a female uh her um he was a a champion speedrunner, like it says was was going all around the world and was loved by fans and uh, peers alike, and then and then and then transitioned to a female, and in doing so, you know, found happiness in in that sense, became Narcissa Wright. However, the film then deals with the backlash, essentially the toxic backlash from the gaming community, not known for any kind of uh, maturity, the video game audience. Uh, she found some allies in the in the community, and, and and the story basically follows her as she wants to get back into streaming, get back to kind of where she was before, find herself, find love or happiness, um, but also just to shine a light on the on the community out there. So, and it's it's pretty good. It's all right. There are moments in yeah. it which are hard hitting. Some felt a bit staged, um, and there are some moments where I smiled. I was like, that's really nice. That's someone finally finding a bit of happiness. And it is quite kind of infuriating as well, just to read what because it's it, it's based on footage recorded over the last six years on a on a Twitch streaming channel, and it's kind of been edited together. And all of the chats, of course, on on the side scroll, so they're all genuine. And some of the things people write, it just, it's 
you kind of think, why do you get out of bed in the morning if that's all you're going to do? But um, it's it's effective enough. Uh, you know, I felt, uh, you know, I felt genuinely uh, empathy for Narcissa and her story uh, during it uh, and some happiness as well. And but the documentary itself, it, you know, I don't think it's going to blow down any walls. Like the the actual subject matter, aside from her like, speed running, I'm not going to lie, I did not care one bit. And I found myself getting more actively annoyed that people would try and beat Zelda in three hours rather than actually playing it properly. But uh, that's a me thing. Documentary though is uh, very good. I think it's a, a good way to get the to get the word out. It's a very good um, LGBTQIA plus representation uh doesn't do anything with twitch though i say that right now um and i think it will help a lot of people i think it will open a lot of eyes and i do think it will help a lot of people in the community and if that is the case then that's a massive win for the documentary the documentary itself though is good it's good it's a good documentary john i'm not going to jump up now and say it's amazing it's a good documentary it's 70 minutes you know if if anyone's got a spare 70 minutes and, and enjoys video games or streamers check it out and there you go um, my next documentary is Richland. Uh, mm. This one is about the city Richland in, I think, Washington State here in the U.S. that was built uh, so that they could, um, cr- like, they have a nuclear power plant that was being used to uh, help build the atomic bomb. This is very relevant with Oppenheimer coming out in just a month. Um, the bomb, the plutonium that was harvested at the other city, I can't... Um, I can't remember the city adjacent to Richland. Richland is where everyone actually lives. The other city is where the nuclear power plant was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the plutonium there was used in the bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki. Um, the film uh, is pretty good at not being too judgmental, although also is pointing out some very troubling things like the the high school at Richland is the Richland Bombers, and their logo is a giant like varsity R. Uh, for the for Richland, but with a mushroom cloud behind it. Very um, nice. Okay, right, subtle. Yeah, and the city. Uh, there are a lot of members of the city who very much embrace their nuclear history. Um, they're proud of the fact that they were uh, their ancestors helped build the bomb. Um, and uh, there's a book of poems from a, a poet from the town that is used throughout the film. Uh, that she clearly is not supportive of the the nuclear element of it um a lot of people there died of uh you know radiation poisoning and things like that and um there's a dispute about that it's it's so compelling it's so interesting it's one of those things where um it, it feels like everybody should know the story and i think most people do not so i w- highly recommend checking out richland it's a very well-made documentary uh some gorgeous shots and it has one of the most haunting final shots uh, of a documentary that i can remember seeing so uh, yeah. i say check out richland if you get the opportunity okay there we have it and uh, my final one for the week jb it's a documentary wow uh like when it comes to the bampies next year i am cooking with gas uh this one is called simply stan lee of course named after the legendary stan lee the man one of the men behind marvel comics and everything that's come from them since um so it's it's a disney plus production and i mentioned to john whilst i was watching it i don't expect it to go too deep into the history of stanley necessarily or at least his uh private life and lo and behold it does not it starts in the 60s takes you up to kind of the early 80s or the late 80s when stanley decided to kind of get out of the comics game 
and then jumps straight ahead to about 2010 when the MCU really kicked off. But it's narrated via archival interviews by Stan Lee, which is uh, a really nice touch. It's directed by a guy called uh, David Gelb. And Stan Lee himself tells his own story with uh, anecdotes kind of interjected in from his wife, Joan, and from those of the time and more current interviews as well. And it tells the story of Stan and also uh, Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, the the illustrators and uh, the other the, t- the other two brains behind Marvel. And it's, it's a very, very good documentary, JB. It's very, very solid. Don't expect any kind of new revelations or anything wild, but it's a really nice personal tribute to Stan Lee, to his work, to his thought process, and how much of Marvel when it started was just a case of let's just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks, which is what I loved about this. So we're like, you know what? We were we were writing for the fans for the most part, and then it got to a point where we were like, wouldn't it be great if a big if we had a big guy who was just green, or we had somebody who was like this or that, and they started writing for themselves. And the majority now of these characters that are so beloved in pop culture canon came from the writers just deciding to have fun and write what they wanted to do. Uh, and you re- and you really get that th- here. Um, it's really cool to see Stan, to hear Stan, sorry, talking about his way of thinking, his accomplishments, his relationship with Jack and Steve, which wasn't at all harmonious all the time. Um, how he met his wife and then fast forwarding to the MCU, having a little few behind the scenes shots of him filming his cameos up until his, uh, I think his final one in Captain Marvel. Um, and it's just lovely to see how much love and respect people had for him, which comes out. It doesn't feel cloying. It doesn't feel, uh, mawkish or overly sentimental. It's a really well put together documentary. Just don't go in expecting fireworks or anything about the man himself outside of his comic book legend. Uh, but it's got a really, really cool ending, like a really great ending as he addresses a university. Um, really enjoyed that, but it was just a really, really kind of really nice, really soft warming documentary about uh, a legend of, of the industry. So Stanley will be dropping on Disney plus uh, in the, in the next few weeks. So you're everyone within the next few days, to be honest, so everybody will be able to check it out. And I say, do it, John. All right. It's on the list. Um, my last film for this uh, entry is BS high. Um, this is a HBO max doc um, or a max on HBO. Max, I don't know what yeah. to call it anymore. But um, so it, it should be available soon. Uh, I this was one of the preview uh, movies that I, I was excited about. Um, and boy, was I right. I had no idea what I was getting into um, it, as a teacher. I found this film to be infuriating um, there. The the basic premise is that this football team BS Sycamore. Uh, uh, oh, I'm going to forget something Sycamore BS is the acronym for it. Um gets on ESPN against one of these huge uh, prep schools called IMG, which I didn't know is out of Florida. Um, and they're on TV and ESPN is watching and they're just like, this, this is ridiculous. This team can't be like, how did they get here? And um, it's revealed that this school is not even uh, really a school. Um, and that's, that's the opening. Like we're told that right away, the guy who's the coach and also the founder of the school is doing interviews in this documentary and it is insane because he seems proud of some of the things that he did and i won't get into it but this is a a trend i've seen in a lot of documentaries like tickled or three identical strangers where you have um an initial setup that is very compelling 
And then as you go through the documentary, you find out how deep the rabbit hole goes. And each time you think you've found the, uh, the bottom, you find out there's another layer underneath it. And it is baffling, infuriating, but endlessly compelling, really well-made documentary. I was floored uh, by it multiple times. BS High, uh, it, again, should be on HBO in the very near future. And I say definitely worth watching, especially educators out there. Um, there's some stuff about education and, and some of the uh, the loopholes that exist, especially specifically to Ohio, where B- uh, Bishop Sycamore, that's what it was called, um, is based out of. And uh, man, it, it just constant ref- reminder that education needs to be restructured. So mm-hmm. check out BS High. I saw the story of that JP and I've been wanting to check it out because it sounds bonkers. So I think that might be another one I add to the list. All these documentaries I'm watching. Who do I think I am? I'm taking be like Burke to the max JB, but um, yeah, it's been busy with Tribeca. It's still not over yet. So I'm sure we'll have a few more in the next few weeks as well, but not a bad selection, John. Indeed. Uh, That's it for our Tribeca coverage. We might talk a couple more movies next week. It depends. The, the festival's winding down. I don't know if I'm going to have time to fit anything else in. Uh, there's a couple other movies I wanted to watch I haven't got to. Um, I, I don't know about you, Matt. I got to a point this week where I just needed a couple days with no movies. Yeah. Um, like I, I, I literally watched nothing yesterday, uh, and I needed it. So um, I may watch a couple more, may not, but we've, we've got pretty good coverage. I think we've got like 14 uh, each. And a few, with a few overlap, but mostly uh, we've been watching our own things and we've covered a lot of films. Yeah, I mean, I, there's there's a few I'm going to watch. I think I'm going to watch, uh, I think I've got about three, which I'd like to watch, three films. But uh, yeah, I think we've got access for another week or so. So I'll watch those kind of in my own time and use the BAMP as to kind of conduit for the reviews. Whereas before we a lot of the reviews were coming from PR teams and, you know, we, we have an obligation, which we choose to do. Uh, so to write about them as well whereas now when they're on the portal we can we can write we can talk about it we can do whatever we want so um yeah i'll I'll talk about that in a second um yeah uh with that in mind before we leave we always have to check in with each other to make sure we're doing something some thing in our day-to-day lives to keep our bloody awesome levels at optimal uh levels because it takes a lot of energy to do this week after week, and we got to check in on each other. So, Matt, I need to know, what have you done to stay bloody awesome? <laughs> I've just said pretty much a Tribeca and chill. Now, it's ah. not as seedy as it might sound, JB. You know, I'm not that lucky, but it is very much. I'm enjoying the festival now, almost as a as a, 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 as a, a pub, member of the public, if you will. Uh, whereas I'm watching the films, and I am not immediately rushing to write about them or writing whilst watching there's a few films i want to watch are going to be able to enjoy them now for what they are films rather than oh my god i need to write about this because we the pr teams are emailing or we've got to do the bamp tonight i've got to watch this chilling and enjoying it whilst also taking the time to sit back and think yeah i'll do that i'll do that later on we've got plenty of time I'm going to watch The Exorcist, a comfort film, or or I'm going to watch something else or, or, or watch something which has nothing to do with films, watch some sport, go for a walk, whatever it might be. After the, every, every festival seems to be the same, and I love it for that, where the first week just seems to be bang, full on, and then that almost frees you up for the rest of it where you can 
take it as you will. You can either watch as much or as little as you want without feeling like you haven't done your obligations to the organisers. And I think we've done that and more. So I'm I'm continuing with my coverage, but in a much more chill way, Like and like you, just finding things outside of the movies to do as well. So it doesn't become a slog, basically. So like you say, in the next episode, there might be one, two, three quick Tribeca mentions. Other than that, though, yeah, we're winding down, JB. So Tribeca and chill for me. Yours, I bet, is much more handsome. Oh, I don't know if it's handsome, but it is. Uh, it, it's necessary. I mentioned earlier at the top of the episode, it's hot. It's it's yeah. summer. Um, and it, what's better in the summer than a nice cold ice cream bar? It is and, handsome. Uh, my my local grocery store had um, some low carb, low calorie uh, ice cream bars. Um, I won't say the name brand because we're not sponsored, and I don't want to you know hedge in. But they were uh, Bogo. So like a box of ice cream bars, you get one free. And so I snagged a couple hundred calories per bar. Um, they have like a, uh, like a fudge pop kind of vibe, oh, you know, like God, that's kind God. of the texture of them. And I love those, man. And uh, it's been nice. Like I'll be real hot and I'm just, I'll grab an ice cream bar and it's just, you know, when, I when you're stressed open. and you're hot, uh, an ice cream bar is hits the spot. I'll, I'll keep the rhyme there. And um <laughs> I've been ever so grateful that I, uh, I, I bought these. I almost didn't because they're th- the low calorie ice cream, not cheap. Even with the BOGO, it's still like, well, that's like you could buy three boxes of the regular ice cream for yeah. the same price of and this. It's not always flavorful either. Let's be honest. I will say this one is, uh, especially the bar I find very, very flavorful. Um, then again, if you eat a lot, like if you stop eating a lot of sweets, this type of stuff tends to be very sweet because good point. Um, it, you know, you're just, your taste buds adjust accordingly. So I, I'm at five years into this. So like, yeah, it, it's, these taste like an ice cream bar to me. I'm very happy with them. Um, it's been a nice, uh, addition to the very hot summer. So that's how I've been staying bloody awesome. Quite, quite frankly, John, you win, you win the week. Well, folks, here's the deal. We don't know for sure what our next movie is going to be on the episode because the one I think we want to cover may not be available for me to see in a, in proximity to my location. Um, we, my theater will not get this movie and I do not know why, but um, asteroid city is out. The new Wes Anderson film that is getting tons of praise. It is. Uh, and I cannot wait to see, and I I'm willing to drive pretty far. My concern is I won't be able to before we record again, but I would say 90% likely we're doing asteroid city next. I already have my ticket for that one. And see, I I know you're going to see it for sure. We will definitely mention it in our media consumption, if nothing else. But if we can't both see asteroid city by the time we record, which we have a little bit of a window here, um, then our plan is to cover elemental, which came out the same time as the flash, but will most likely still be in theaters. I've already seen elemental and I will say, uh, I enjoyed it very much. I seem to be on the top of the, the reviews uh, so far, as far as like positivity. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I don't think it's perfect, but I thought it was really, really good. And it is a rom-com, something I am a sucker for. So, um, and I got to say too, uh, Elemental has um, uh, a short film uh, from Up. Uh, it's Carl's Date or Carl's Big Date or something like that. <laughs> and it's it's pretty great um it's not Aww. perfect but it's it's it does what up is really known for which is giving you a really emotional story in a very short amount of time and um it it, 
it's really good. Uh, and so is Elemental, though. I enjoyed Elemental quite a bit. Um, I will say right now, the marketing for Elemental is very wrong. It is not selling you what the movie is about at all. Gotcha. Um, and that's, that's a shame. But um, I say check it out if you can either way. But we'll most likely be talking Asteroid City when we come back. In the meantime, if you'd like to talk to us, if you'd like to share your thoughts, if you want to tell us how dumb we are or uh, thank us for talking about your small movie that played at Tribeca, you can hit us up on social media at Bloody Awesome Movie Pod on Instagram and Twitter at bamp underscore podcast b-a-m-p underscore podcast and we are technically on facebook i don't think either of us ever actually look at the facebook so you know if you want to find us there the bloody awesome movie podcast probably wrong um bamp reviews on uh on rotten tomatoes now too so we get to thumbs up thumbs down it sounds like for the flash we're going thumbs up this week i believe Um, so thought yeah exactly um individually you can follow us uh also i'm at burkreviews.com and at burkreviews on all the social media platforms matt where can they find you uh you can find me what i watch tonight.co.uk and just search what i watch tonight across all the socials including letterboxd and for all of our tribeca reviews from now until the end check out both of our sites and you'll see all of them and if you like what we're doing, we ask that you take just a moment and give us that five-star rating on whatever podcast catcher you use to listen because it helps other people find the show. And frankly, that's what we need. So thank you for doing that. If you have already, we have seen some of you uh, posting. the. We've seen our star ratings clicking up, and we are grateful that yes, you've sir. taken the time to do that. So uh, appreciate those of you who have already done it. Yes, sir. I echo that. And with that, we encourage you to keep watching movies. And stay bloody awesome blood 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 bloody blood 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 bloody blood 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 bloody